morning from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, see, God, I have come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, see, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And it is by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is the Word of God for the people of God. This author of the letter to the Hebrews is trying to make sense of the birth and death of Jesus Christ and what difference it might make for Him and for the world and for this congregation to whom He writes. As you read through this letter, you begin to get hints that this is a people who are tired, who are weary, who have been suffering and trying to endure that suffering, but some are beginning to drift away from the faith. And so this author is writing to encourage and bolster their faith in Christ while they endure these trials. So in that sense, this letter to the Hebrews is a book or a letter about waiting. Advent is a season which encourages us to think about waiting and learning to wait for God to move in our lives, to watch and be attentive, to listen and look for how God might be coming into your life and working in your life and in our world in this time. But it still seems a bit of a strange passage to be one of the appointed lessons for this fourth Sunday of Advent just before we're ready to celebrate the birth of Christ because when you read through it, it really speaks more of the death of Christ than of His birth. Plus, it operates out of a frame of reference that is not familiar to most of us in an ancient view of life and worship that revolves around offering animal or blood sacrifices to maintain a relationship with God or at least to maintain a positive relationship with God. There are all kinds of sacrifices. There are a hierarchy of them if you read through the Hebrew Scriptures as well as a hierarchy in the temple around which this rotates. You can only come so close to the Holy of Holies, the center of, of the temple, the residence, or the place of presence of God. It's a fierce place to come that close to the all-powerful God of the universe. So only the high priest can go into that Holy of Holies and only once a year. Most of us do not attune our lives to that kind of worship practice or that kind of view and yet it is the one from which this author of hebrews writes yet it 
is listed as one of our readings because it speaks to the very purposes of God being revealed when Christ came into the world, as he writes in verse 5. Whether you're familiar with the background or not, do not miss the message that we are no longer restricted from the presence of God, that we can draw close, that sacrifice are no longer needed because Jesus Christ has come into our world. The old way was the way of making sacrifices. The new way was that Christ gave himself. Jane Marshall wrote some of the hymns in our United Methodist hymnal and a lot of the music and the Psalter and other places in our hymnal. She is one of our great musical authors. But on one occasion, she wrote one of the hymns for an anniversary of a church. It's number 87 in our hymnal, What Gift Can We Bring? She's wanting them to think about the people who have come before them in that place who have done great things so that they could be there. Listen to what she writes. What gift can we bring? What present? What token? What words can convey it, the joy of this day, when grateful we come, remembering, rejoicing? What song can we offer in honor and praise? when we recognize that a great deed has come before us and has benefited us, we often wonder, how can we respond? What is the appropriate response? What gift can we bring? What present? What token? And this author of this letter to the Hebrews says, the best gift we bring to God is ourselves the best gift we can ever give to god is aligning our life with god's life see it's not really about appeasing god but having a relationship with god it's not focused any longer on a once a year sacrifice but a year round offering of ourselves to god it was clear in the text that this author of Hebrews is ready to be done with that sacrifice and sees that because of what Christ has done, we all can be finished with that. He rebukes this old way in verse 5 and 6 and 8. He puts words from Psalm 40 into the mouth of Christ in this way, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then in verse 8, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. The old way was to offer sacrifices. The new way is to offer ourselves. In verse 9 and other places in this reading, this author also puts in the mouth of Jesus that he has come to do the will of God. In verse 9, see, I have come to do your will. 
Or I've come to extend your love, you might say. You might ask, what is God willing? What is God doing? I would say the answer is loving the world. In this season, we might particularly ask, what is God doing in the birth of Jesus? What is Jesus doing? The answer from our reading today is doing God's will, which is loving the world. This whole story about Jesus and His coming, His life, His death, His crucifixion, His resurrection, the birth story itself is trying to reveal to us that God's love is coming to us in a new and special way. It's coming in human form a form of embodying God's love in a way that we can see it and relate to it and understand it and connect with it. As I was reading over this letter to the Hebrews, it also caused me to think of Paul's letter to the Philippians. He too talks about the sacrifice of Christ. In fact, he talks about two different sacrifices that Christ makes to reveal this divine love to us. I'm going to read you a few verses from Philippians chapter 2. See if you can hear this. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Even though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. So that's the first sacrifice. But then he goes on. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is giving his all for us in line with God's love for us. Christ is giving up everything of his divinity to come and embody it in a human form and this whole point about his death and this sacrifice is to show us the depth of this love the extent to which this love will go verse 10 says we are sanctified by this love or the message translation says we are made fit for god through this love that has come to us through christ jesus our lord who made a sacrifice once for all. Reminded me of a story of these two families that lived in the same neighborhood, just down the block from one another. Both had children. Both of the families had boys about the same age who played together. But then the first family went through a divorce, and all of a sudden the father was no longer around. They hardly ever saw him. But on occasion, he would come back for a birthday or maybe for Christmas. But every time he came back, he brought presents, nice presents, expensive, bright and shiny, the latest, newest presents. The boy that lived down the block found himself being a little bit jealous of all these wonderful gifts this other boy received when his dad came by. But then his birthday came around and his parents organized a birthday party for him, invited all the neighborhood children, the family came as well. They sang happy birthday 
They had ice cream and cake. He opened a few modest presents. They played games. The party was over. Almost everyone had left. But the boy of whom he was sometimes jealous lingered a while longer watching this family. He noticed that both parents had participated in all the activities and played the games and had been singing the song, and now they were there cleaning up together. He finally said to his friend, Is your dad here like this all the time? Helping out, playing with you guys, helping your mom clean up? And the boy said, sure. The other boy said, I wish my dad was like that. You see, the best gift the father was giving was the gift of himself. No better gift than when we give ourselves in love. No better gift than when we give ourselves to another in love. No greater gift can we receive than when we receive the self-giving of God through Christ, God's never-ending love. Text sample is one of my seminary professors. He's retired long ago now, but he's written a number of books. And one of those he remembers when he was in junior high school. He says, I was starting my eighth grade year, and I tell you, I had it all going my way. He said, I love football, and I was a great football player. I was so good, in fact, that they had moved me up, and I was practicing with the high school team. I was the editor of our eighth grade newspaper, and I was dating the prettiest girl in the class. And then he said, it happened. Things began to happen. He said, first, my, my arches fell and my feet went flat. And I had to get these funny-looking orthotics that made me walk funny. And then he said, my eyes started going bad, and I had to get these bulky glasses and wear them every day. And then he said, I began to notice a little sting in my back that turned into a pain off and on and then turned into an experience where every time... I ran into one of those high school football players. I had a pain in my back and pain shooting down my legs. He said I was hoping it would go away, but it got to the point where sometimes my back would lock up and I could hardly move. My parents said we had to go see the bone doctor, as they called him. So we drove into town. He did an examination. Tex says he used some fancy words to describe my spinal condition. But all I heard was that he said, you have to wear a back brace the rest of the year, and then this summer you're going to need to have surgery. And absolutely no more football. Tex said he couldn't believe it. He was wondering, could it ever get any worse? And then it did, he said. He said, I got acne. And he said, all of a sudden, my face began to break out in ways that I couldn't even understand. And he said, it wasn't just a little acne here or there. My face was covered hairline to hairline. Finally, my mother said I had to go see the dermatologist, but we lived in a small town. We didn't have one of those, so every Saturday, we had to drive 50 miles 
to go see this dermatologist. And he said it was no picnic. He gave me shots straight into my face, into these cysts. Then he prescribed a sulfuric acid wash to help it, I guess, keep from scarring. And then I had to do this dry ice burn that made all the skin fall off so new skin would grow back. He said, in a word, it was torture. Every Saturday for months, I had to go through this. He said, I'll tell you what was worse than that. I had to go to school on Monday, and I was a sight. He said, the shots created lumps all over my face, and the sulfuric acid created scabs, and then that wash I had to do made my skin the bright red color of a lobster's back. He said, I almost glowed going back to school. He said, now don't get me wrong, most of the kids I went to school with were kind. But I tell you, when someone saw me for the first time, they were almost always grossed out and would turn away in revulsion. He said, then, of course, my girlfriend broke up with me. She started dating another football player. He said, I couldn't blame her. If the roles had been reversed, I probably would have done the same thing. But somehow it just seemed like it was the final straw and this existential assault on my life. And I began to feel like it was all over, that everything that I cared about or was good at was being taken away. But he said throughout that experience... Every morning, my mama would come in and gently lay her hand on me and shake me awake to get me ready for school. And he said, without fail, once she had me awake, she would say, you are so pretty. He said, you got to understand, in southern Mississippi where I grew up, purdy was prettier than pretty and more handsome than handsome. It was the best. So here I was with fallen arches, with eyes that didn't work, laying in a back brace with a face glowing red, and my mama was saying, you are so pretty. Every day, he said, she came and affirmed him in that way. He writes, I have no idea what would have happened to me if it had not been for my mother's sustaining love then he concludes yet it was years before i would see the connection between my mother's love and god's all-encompassing grace and love for me amen